0: Are you stressed out yet? Man, I love that uh, clip because it just implies how stressful sometimes it can be to accomplish the mission. If you didn't recognize that was from Mission Impossible. But this morning we're talking from the idea of Mission Possible. And uh, I don't know if you're here last week. Pastor Kelly did a phenomenal job talking about the tension of just wanting and needing to risk it, to step out on faith. And risk it. And I love the idea. of Whenever they got a mission on Mission Impossible, they would always say, "Your mission, should you choose to accept it." And uh, and then some impossible thing would uh, would happen, and then you know somehow he ends up in tights suspended from somewhere, and you know one drop of sweat could be the end of the mission, but he accomplishes it. But this morning I want to talk to you guys just about uh, the mission and what it is that we do when we come together and we actually are the body of Christ in our community and beyond. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the different ways to talk about the mission that Jesus gave to each and every one of us. And and, uh, and I'm really excited. For those of you that are maybe just visiting us today or someone dragged you down here today, there was no Seahawk game and they promised you breakfast. I'm so glad uh, that you're here. I won't talk about the Seahawk Niner game this week. I was in mourning for about a day and a half and, you know, Jesus is my strength and uh, pulled me out of it to get me ready for this. But, uh, but I was thinking about some of the guys in the Bible who were amazing and stayed on mission and what we can learn from their lives. And I was thinking about and this is how my brain works, so indulge me for a little bit. I was thinking about when we get to heaven. Who are the guys I'm going to want to hang out with? Who are the guys I want to, I'm going to want through history to see and to talk to? And I was thinking about, like, Peter, and I was thinking about Paul. And I had this epiphany. I don't think I want to hang out with Paul in heaven. Yeah. I don't, do, I don't think I want to. He set the bar, like, too high. I don't, how am I going to relate to Paul? Here's Paul. You know, I can imagine everyone hanging around. Everybody wants to be by Paul. And he's like, yeah. Then they threw rocks at me until I, you know, they thought I was dead. Then I got shipwrecked again. That was time number three. The snakes bit me, and I had to pray. And then, uh, you know, I went into the town, and, and these miracles were happening. But, you know, they beat me. with. They flogged me again. And, you know, and I just kept pushing through. And, and I look at him, and I'm just like, dude, we get it. We get it. You're awesome fine, you know, like we can like I can't, he's not relatable to me. And I sure, you know, there's that whole scene where he, you know, murdered Christians and hunted them down and killed them for a while. But, but once you get past that, Paul, I'm just like, man, I don't know if I'm going to want to hang with Paul too much uh, uh, in heaven. You know, I'll be awesome. It'd be cool to see him. You know, all that stuff will be great. But I think I'd really like to hang with Peter. I was thinking about Peter and I was like, you know, Peter, I get Peter. Like I connect with, right? Peter was just always trying hard, but sometimes swinging hard and missing, You know, I love that Peter's the guy who, you know, said, you know, went straight from brain to mouth without, you know, much filter in between sometimes. And he's the one who Jesus had to be like, dude, get behind me, Satan. And he's like, oh, okay. He's the one who like in one moment he was so heroic that he literally drew a sword and chopped the ear off of a Roman soldier only to have Jesus be like, bro. Bro, you're like way too excited right now. Calm down. This part's okay. And, you know, you've missed it again. And then the next day, a teenage girl is like, don't you know Jesus? He's like, Jesus? A teenage girl, he goes from brave enough to chop the ear off of a Roman soldier in the middle of the night to the next day, a teenage girl goes, I think you know, aren't you one of those ones? He's like, no. And she's like, no, 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 seriously. I can tell. You're, I saw you with him. You're one of the ones. And he's like, no. He's, she's like, dude you have an accent. We know you're from not around here. You know, a teenage girl is just slicing and dicing this guy. And he's like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. And he runs off and, and, uh, he makes eye contact with Jesus, the rooster crows. And it's like humiliating and, and like, I can get those kinds of, pro- like I can connect. And Peter's stories will be fun stories to sit around and talk about. And Jesus had to catch him and kind of say, dude, bro, do you love me? He's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, then go feed my sheep. It's like, no, no. Do you love me? Like he has to break him down a little bit. I really love Peter. So I thought I'd share about mission from Peter uh, because I just felt connected to him this week as I was thinking about all the times that I try real hard and sometimes it doesn't work out right, but somehow God manages to use our effort and our energy in spite of us to accomplish the mission that he's called us to. And so, so I'm really excited about that. I was thinking about Peter and I was thinking about impossible missions. And I was thinking about times when People have asked of me to do something that seemed impossible at the moment. Maybe you've had that experience. You've been at work and someone's like, I need this project done by whatever. And you're like, dude, do you understand what you're asking? And you look at your pile of work. Someone says, hey, can you guys come and do this thing? And you're, you're like, oh, you don't understand what's going on in my family right now. If you knew, it would be it's impossible. And sometimes an impossible mission can just get so daunting. And it sucks the energy right out of us. And it sucks the life right out of us. And it sucks the joy right out of us. And we have usually one of two responses. Either one, we, we chop off the ear. We're like, I'll just go real hard. And it's reckless. And it's not controlled. And it's not, and it, you know, we just fail in our energy. But at least we're going to try hard. And then sometimes, you know, it's like the little girl just shames us. And we're just like, ah, I just can't do it. And you just give up. And you throw in the cards. And you get a defeated stance. And sometimes when the mission seems impossible... We have those kinds of reactions. I remember the first time in ministry that the mission seemed impossible for me. I was an intern. I was finished with Bible college. And uh, because I had done such a great job at Bible college, um, there were a ton of uh, opportunities for me to work for free uh, that were out there. So I took one and I went and uh, uh, took an internship, and I was out in Spokane, Washington. And I remember the first time the mission felt impossible for me, uh, our senior pastor there uh, asked me, he said, hey, there is a Halloween event that we are going to do. It was near Halloween, which is probably why I was thinking about this. And, uh, and he said, we're going to do this event for children. And it's a fun event. There's a car, uh, carnival and, you know, there's cars that they can get candy from. It'll be awesome. I'm like, cool. What do you need? Move heavy things, move chairs. That's what I do around here, right? I'm in. He goes, no, no, no. I want you to share the gospel with those kids before they go get candy. And I was like, wait, what? Like I move chairs and, you know, I'll teach like some Sunday school lessons for, you know, whatever. But you want me to just share the gospel cold with a room full of kids that want candy Are you that's impossible? Do you know at this point? I'm like 21, 22 years old. I'm like, I don't know how to talk to kids at all. I've never done a shift in kids ministry. Okay, once when I was a teenager, I went awful. I never went back. Right. I don't know how to talk to kids at all. What age group are going to be here? Well, little, little kids up to like I think it was like third grade or something like that. So just share the gospel with them. I'm like, so they're going to wait in a room with me before they can go get candy. And my job is to share the gospel with them. And I remember just thinking, that's impossible. And I was trying hard to think of some way. How do you just share the gospel with a bunch of little kids right before, uh, right before they go get candy? Here was all my mind could come up with. I was like, okay, I've got it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk out there and say, who wants some candy? And they're all going to scream. And then I'm going to say, raise your hand. And they're all going to raise your hand. But then I'm going to finish the sentence and say, if you want to accept Jesus, and you're like, and I'll nail it. I'll get like 100% response out of this room of kids. Because in my mind, that was it, right? As long as they raised their hand before they left, I was a success. That's as far as I got. That's a Bible college education just in a wrap shell for you. No, I'm teasing. But, uh, but I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out what to do with kids at all. It was impossible. And that was all I had. I literally walked out into this room and that was the that was the thought going around and around and around and around in my mind was I'm just gonna make a joke out of this because I enter the world through humor and it occurs to me though that I don't know if like six year olds can understand my humor. And so I walked out, and uh, I wish I could give you a great recollection of what I actually did. I didn't do that. I'm sure I fumbled my way through. I'm sure it was miserable, uh, and it wasn't uh, eloquent at all. I'm sure it wasn't. uh, You're probably thinking none of this is eloquent right now, and I haven't gotten any better. but, but, uh, (laughs) But essentially, it was this brutal thing to me. But at the end, I simply talked about the fact that God loved us. With a perfect father's love, and it was available to anybody who wanted to accept Jesus in their heart. And hands went up all over the place. And there were kids, but you know what's cool? Some parents' hands went up, and it was like, oh, that's what you mean when you say this isn't about me. It's about, am I willing to just do what you've called me? And it was like a light bulb went off. And so today I want to talk. Just for a little while about this amazing mission that Jesus has left us here on earth for. And the reason I say left us here on earth is it occurs to me that it would be convenient if the moment we said, you know what? I'm going to just take a step of faith and trust Jesus. If he just took us straight to heaven right there, that would be convenient because I wouldn't have to deal with any more of my issues down here. There's no more like, you know, bills to pay. We're just bam. We're in heaven. It's just on. Right. But he leaves us here. And why does he leave us here? He leaves us here with a purpose because he loves people. He loves people. He loves you. Sometimes I wonder, what does Jesus think about when Jesus thinks about me? What does God think about when he thinks about you? The answer is he loves you. He loves you. And you know what he thinks about when he thinks about the person sitting next to you? He loves them. Do you know what he thinks about when he thinks about the person who lives next to you? He loves them. them. Do you know what he thinks about when he thinks about the person who's driving in front of you? He loves him. Do you know what he thinks about when he thinks about the person who's ordering in front of you? He loves them. That's what he does. So he leaves us here because he loves us and he loves people. And he leaves us here with a mission and something to do. Sometimes it feels impossible. Sometimes it feels impossible. I was struggling A little bit this morning, I want to talk about our mission here at Celebration Center. I want to talk specifically about that. And I will before we close. But but it became just important to me to kind of think through why. Why leave us here? Because he loves us. But why? Why? And, and the why of the mission was just as important to me as the what of the mission. And how the the mission is just as important to me as the what of the mission. And so I'm going to take us through. We're going, to, we're going to ground in the Word of God today. So if you've got a Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 4. If you've got it on your phone, uh, you can open to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to walk through this amazing story from Peter's life. As Peter kind of begins to understand the mission that God's given him for the first time. To kind of bring you up to speed to Acts chapter 4. Some amazing things are happening in Acts. Amazing things. It's incredible what has happened. Jesus has showed up. And he's he's told them that they're going to receive power to accomplish their mission. That's Acts 1-8. Acts 2. All of a sudden... Power comes on display and the Holy Spirit shows up. And Peter preaches the first sermon of the quote unquote Christian movement. And 2,000 give their heart to Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. The church just goes gangbusters, just takes off. And that's Acts chapter 2. And people have this response to Peter, and it's amazing. They're saying like they're, the words of his of his sermon has cut them to the bone. And his sermon is great. He's like, hey, you guys were fools and you missed it. But don't worry, God loves you. You killed him, but he loves you. And now he's raised from the dead. And if you put your faith in him, if you believe and you get you repent and you get baptized and you move towards Jesus, you can be in. He's like wow. And people are just like, oh, this is amazing. Right. And that's Acts chapter two. Then Acts chapter three, they decide, hey, we got to go to the temple. It's time to pray. It's time to worship. And Peter and John are on their way to the temple. And at the gate, they see a man who's been crippled for the scripture tell us 40 years, 40 years. And he's a beggar and he's asking for alms. And he's saying, hey, you know, this is what I do every day. I'm des- I'm completely dependent on others, and he, I, he says I, "I need some alms." And Peter says something incredible here. You know the story. He says, "Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee." In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And something amazing happens. This guy who's been crippled for forty years gets up, and he doesn't just like get up. Like I always think, like maybe a, a you know a, a baby horse or a deer gets up, and you know you see the, the pictures because I. never lived in the country but uh but you know and their legs are wobbly and they're trying to take their their first couple steps or whatever it says he gets up and he's rising and he's leaping and he's now i don't know about you but if i haven't walked in 40 years and all of a sudden my legs work i'm not going to be like dude thanks appreciate it and kind of, you know, strut off. I might strut at the very end just because I want that moment, you know, but, but that's not what's going to happen. I'm like, yes, I'm up. Check it out. Check it out. You know, maybe some kicks. I don't know what I would do. Some high knees, you know, running in place. I would do some stuff. I might even break out the worm. I don't know what would happen. It would get reckless in this moment. If after 40 years, someone walked up to me and said, I'm going to give you what I got in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. See, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now, you got to understand, a commotion breaks out over this. This guy's well-known. He's been there for 40 years. Can you imagine? I mean, this church is 20 years old. Can you imagine that for if 20 years, some of you that were maybe founding members, if every time you came to church, there was someone out front, the same guy. And he was, a, 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 you know, needy. He was either somehow disabled, whatever it was. And he was always asking for support. And sometimes you could support him. Sometimes you couldn't. Sometimes you say hi. You know his story. You know his family. You know his background. I mean, he's there all the time. He's not just some guy. And now he's leaping. And he's praising God. People would come out to see if there was a prayer meeting in here. Remember, they were going to the time of prayer. And all of a sudden you heard some screaming out there. You would go see what was going on. Probably get your kids first, make sure everybody's okay, Right. And then you'd go see you get your phones out. Right. You'd be tweeting, whatever it is. You'd be, you know, you'd be. Hey, go tell so-and-so to get down here because Larry's out there and he's jumping around. It's crazy. It'd be amazing. That's what happens here. People are like, whoa, this is awesome. And pretty soon, the folks that were inside running the service, they, they, they got an empty room. Right? Everybody's outside. So they got to go check out what's going on. And the scripture says they go out there and they see Peter and they see John. And they're like, what is this? It's prayer time. It's serious. Knock it off. It's the Mike translation, right? And so what do they do? They throw them in jail. They're like, hey, you guys are causing too much commotion out here. We're trying to have a prayer meeting. It's prayer time. And they throw him in jail. Now, this is amazing. They also, apparently, at least he, we know he's there. I, I'm going to call him Larry, right? Larry, the, not the cable guy, the crippled guy, right? The crippled, Why? Jesus, edit for me, please, back there. All right. (laughs) We know Larry's still around, so I don't know if they throw him in jail or what. If he spent his first day walking in jail, that's totally a drag. But that's all right. I'm sure no matter what happened to him after that, he was having a good day. Okay. And so they have to figure out what are they going to do with these guys who have now caused this massive commotion during their prayer meeting, during their time of running the church. Come on. We're busy doing church in here. Knock it off with that Jesus stuff. Ouch. So we pick up in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to just walk through this insane conversation. Oh, the other thing that happens you've got to catch that's just amazing is that not just a couple people came out. A lot of people have now come out. The scripture is going to say in just a minute here that some 3,000 more people are going to put their faith in Jesus because of this moment. Peter's going to preach in just a minute. So I want you to get an adequate picture. This isn't like, you know, 10 folks went out there and were like, dude, this is awesome. And, you know, no, this is like the mobs of people are coming to see. Everybody knows Larry. Everybody knows him. 40 years he's been sitting out there. You guys are all going to just connect him as Larry from now on. It's, that's, that's amazing. Some of you are writing that in your Bible. I didn't realize his name was Larry. Pastor Mike must have looked that up. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> right? So Acts chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. says, The priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking with the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. See, it was technically illegal to do a trial at night. But many of them who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. That's crazy. That's crazy crazy. Like wildfire, things are spreading. Now, it's important we talk a little bit about the Sadducees because we talk about the Pharisees in church a lot, but we hardly ever talk about the Sadducees and what in the world is a Sadducee. Basically, it's the other political party of the Pharisees that are kind of they got a two-party system going. And the Sadducees are in charge of the temple. They're like the ruling class. Now, I got a full disclosure for a moment in case I meet any Sadducees in heaven, since we were talking about that before. Most of what we know about Sadducees, we have documented from the Pharisees. And so if the opposite political party wrote the history of the other political party, and that for 2,000 years is how we learned about who they were, you can imagine that you'd probably have a slightly jaded perspective right so so you pick either side you know if if the liberal community wrote all the history of the conservative community or back the other words the other ways around if the community you know know what i'm trying to say in a thousand years and someone read that they would think that whatever the other party is must be absolutely insane right And so we have kind of a really, we got a kind of a jaded view of what we know about the Sadducees. They didn't, they weren't on the scene for very long. Uh, Here's what we know for sure. From the scripture, we know that they were anti-resurrection from the dead, which essentially, and they were anti-angel. They were anti the supernatural. Essentially, what they believed is what happened here on earth was all there is, and then it's a wrap. All right? All there is, and then it's a wrap. They believed in God, but they believed that he put us here on earth, and then that's it. That we have this experience on earth, we love God, we honor him, we do the sacrifices, we do what we're supposed to do, and then that's kind of a wrap. That's it. That's where they kind of ended their, their, their theology, okay? And so the Pharisees, of course, did not believe that. Uh, they had a much wider set of belief, but they also, the Pharisees, we know, they were like rule mongers, okay? So they were always adding rules and extra uh, provisions. They were like the how-to. Here's what the scripture is, but here's how you do it, and you have to do it our way. And so the Sadducees kind of hated that in the Pharisees. They're like, you guys are rule mongers. This is all there is. Let's just do the best we can with this right here, Okay. And so that's kind of the the tension that was happening between these two groups. But the Pharisees were way bigger and they had influence in the people. The Sadducees, though, had the money. They were like the ruling elite class. Okay, they had the connection to Rome. They were in authority in the temple. And so here's all of that information to say this. If you don't believe that there's anything in life after this, it will greatly affect what you care about right now. Do you understand that? If this is as good as it gets, if this is the best there is, and then it's just over, the way you behave right now will be dramatically altered. And we see that in the Sadducees. They're basically saying we're going to hold down the ruling class and nobody who starts anything that takes power and authority from us is going to have any chance. So therefore, Jesus, here's Jesus saying, you guys aren't that important. God cares about everyone. He doesn't just need you. He'll live with everyone. Oh, can you imagine the tension of that? If I'm the ruling class and here's a peasant carpenter claiming that God can live with man, get out of here. Then his followers have the nerve to preach that he raised from the dead after everything in our theology is that this is all there is. You can imagine some tension here. Now, you also have to know these are the high priests. This is the top of the food chain. So who were the crew shouting, crucify him? Who were the crew saying, we want Barabbas? These guys. So to stand at the temple and say, Jesus, who you crucified, raised from the dead, is the power and authority that caused this man to stand it's going to be a fight. Do you understand? This ain't going to go too well for this early, early, early church movement. But something happens. 5,000 begin to believe. Well, now, you know, it's one thing to have the crowd on my side be on crucify him. Yeah. It's another for 5,000 people to be like, dude, Larry's walking. That's a big deal. We want, we want that. You got it. All right. You're with me. All right. So here's what's happening. No one can deny it. They all see him. Verse five. So they spend the night in jail. That's awesome. Congratulations. Good job. You're in jail. It says the next day, verse five, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they all met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family, basically all the big dogs. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question him. By what power or what name? do you do this? Because remember, they don't believe in supernatural things happening right now. So it's got to be a trick. It's got to be a trick. It's got to be some kind of, you know, uh, prestidigitation. That was a good word. Someone looked that up. Tell me if I was right. Use of that word, right? By what power, what name did you do this? It says then Peter, check this out, filled with the Holy spirit said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, then know this. He's like, hey, if you're going to give me permission to tell you the story, let me tell you the story. Where'd I go? How he was healed. Tell me this. And since um, it is by the name, I'm in verse 10, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which they might or must be saved. Can you imagine the courage it took there? I want to explore that a little bit because Peter's gone on a journey here. I joked about it before, but Peter's gone on a journey. Peter's first interaction with Jesus was very simple. He's fishing with Andrew, and Jesus says, Hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter drops his nets, and he follows Jesus. You see, the first thing Jesus did was simply invite Peter to follow him. The first part of getting on this incredible mission with Jesus is we just recognize his invitation is simple, it's not complicated. It's not, hey, come learn all I have to teach you, and then you can follow me. Or, hey, get your life right, and then you can follow me. It's the same thing we see with Matthew. Matthew's sitting at a tax collector booth, and Jesus walks right up to him. Now you've got to remember, tax collectors were hated. In fact, they're so hated, you should look at the scripture. Every time it mentions tax collectors, it qualifies it and says, tax collectors and sinners. They hated tax collectors so much, they wouldn't even group them together with other sinners. It was like murderers, liars, rapists, killers, and then, you know, that's sinners. I don't have to make that clear. But those guys, and then the tax collectors. That's that's how much they hated the tax collectors in that culture, okay? And Matthew's one of those. And Jesus walks right up to him and says, Hey, come and follow me. Can you imagine the scandal? This guy doesn't have his life together. Peter's fishing, he doesn't have his life together. The invitation was simple was hey, come and follow me. You're invited. Now, on that journey, Jesus began to share with him and teach and do life with him. And and Peter went from a follower to a disciple. And eventually Jesus gave him some teaching and he said, hey, you're my disciples. John 8, 31. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, he says, hey, as you go on this journey, you're free to follow Nothing about your life needs to change for you to start this journey with me You just need to make a decision. You want to come and follow me But on that journey You're going to learn who I am and that's going to change you Just being around that truth and you become my disciples as you begin to follow What I have taught you so peter went on that journey. He went from follower to disciple Now he's a disciple for a while But he hasn't quite have it figured out because it just takes a 14 year old girl to say dude, are you with jesus? And He's like nope It breaks him quick, right? He left his fishing business. He was willing to assault a Roman guard. But when the tension and the pressure was on and it looked like things were spiraling and it looked like the the establishment of the church wasn't going to back his guy, he was out. You see, he was a disciple, but he hadn't been commissioned yet. He didn't have the mission yet. So Jesus goes to the cross, conquers the grave meets with Peter, restores him, says, do you love me? And then we see Matthew 28, this incredible, incredible picture of Jesus saying, I'm going to commission you. Matthew 28, 19, it should pop up on the screen maybe for you. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. So we never want to read the next verse, right? we always are like, yeah, go baptize them, go get them together. But we never want to say, and teaching them to obey. Remember, a disciple... Obeyed the. Com- the co- yeah? Okay. You're with me? He says, so that's what a disciple is, right? So, it, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And Jesus says, now you have a mission, and your mission is people. Now something's still missing, because Peter's still just Peter. But he's going from a person who was a follower to a disciple. And now all of a sudden he's an apostle. Now, we use the word apostle when we hear like, I don't know, just this official office and title. But apostle just means someone who's been sent. Right. So he gets he gets sent. Jesus says now not only are you a follower of me, but you've got a mission and you've got a thing to go and do. And that's for all of us. Now, in order to do that. He needs some power. So the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts chapter 2, and I I paraphrase that for you. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2 says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and get baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, hey, the Holy Spirit will show up and will give you the power that you need to accomplish the mission that Jesus told us to do, which was to turn from what we had done and put our faith in him and then go love people it's pretty awesome he says the holy spirit will come and do that so look at peter peter's now in the same predicament he was just a few days ago a few days ago a little girl out in him as a follower of jesus and he denied it and he took off now the entire sanhedrin The the ruling class of the church, the same folks that can call heresy and throw rocks at him or have him crucified or have him killed. That same group is saying, hey, by whose authority are you doing this? You need to knock it off. That's what we're talking about right now. And so then we get back to Acts chapter 4. It says, Peter, verse 8. I'm sorry, further ahead. Verse 12. Salvation is found no one else. There's no name under heaven to be given by which men can be saved. Verse 13, he says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished by unschooled. it doesn't mean they were unsmart. It just meant they didn't go to like, you know, Bible college. They were just guys like normal guys. Unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed, Larry's there. Standing with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But stop this thing from spreading any further. We must warn these men to no longer speak in this name. Verse 18 said they called them all together and commanded them, you don't do this anymore, not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. And verse 19 is here what I want you to catch. It says, but Peter and John replied, you judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. Verse 20, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Are you kidding me? This is the same guy who just like within a week's time, little 14 year old girl had him running for the hills. And he's saying, you decide if you need to judge us, you judge us. But I cannot help but speak about what I have seen. You know the difference? He's got a mission. He's on mission now. He's heard Jesus say, you got to go, and you got to make disciples, and you got to tell people, and you got to share. And he's like, I can't help it anymore. I can't not do this thing. That, that's the difference when someone is on mission or not. Because if the mission's optional, when the pressure's on, you'll pull the plug. Right. If it's optional, then when the pressure's on, we'll just we'll change the mission or we'll make an adjustment or we'll somehow con- conform to whatever the expectation is. But if the mission is not optional, if the mission's in us, then we can't help but speak and share about what we've seen and heard the mission. So I'm going to have the ushers come forward and they're going to give you something today that is just going to share with you a little bit how we were the mission here at Celebration Center. This is how we do it. And they're going to give you a little card and it's a little business card like this that you can slip into your Bible or into your wallet. You guys can just start passing them out. And and here's here's what I want you to catch. This is how we word who we are here. So if you've been coming to Celebration Center for a day, welcome. Now you know who we are. If you've been coming for 20 years, amazing. Now, we all know what you've known. This is who we are. And, and I love the wording here. It simply says this. We're becoming disciples who passionately represent Christ in our community. Now, becoming a disciple is a clever thing because a disciple means someone who follows somebody. And so that means that we acknowledge that I'm not in charge. That's a big deal. If we're becoming disciples, then it means I acknowledge that though there's a lot of things I like to be in charge of, ultimately I am submitted to the master because I am a disciple of Jesus. So I'm okay with the fact that I'm not in charge. Are you okay with the fact that you're not in charge today? Can you handle that? That's tough sometimes to swallow, right? Are you okay with the fact that Jesus is the model, that Jesus is the one we're modeling? It's not the way I like to do it. This is the way I like to do it. Awesome. Awesome. You're not in charge. Right? This is how I... Awesome. You're not in charge. If you are a disciple, if you're moving to align your life with Jesus, you're saying, you're the boss, and I'm cool with that. Are you cool with that? It's a big thing. We're becoming disciples. Now, we don't have to start there. For some of us, just like Peter had to start, it's just, hey, come and hang out with Jesus and follow him. It's cool to follow, man. I've I followed for a long time wondering, what is going on here? Just checking it out. But if you're a disciple, that's what that means. Now, passion. Passion's an interesting word. We passionately represent Christ. We passionately represent Christ. We pa- You know what passionately means? It means action. I can't just tell my wife I'm passionate about her. Hey, babe, I'm passionate about you. Cool. Good job. Good looking out. Passionate about you. Yeah. Hey, kids. Passionate about you. Awesome. Right. Come up here. I'm just like, dude, passionate about Jesus. Passionate. No, passionate requires action. It requires I do something. It requires investment. It requires a, a chase. My heart gets excited and gets full because I'm passionate about something. There's action. There's activity. I don't want to just kind of be like Jesus and not have any action in my life. I'm passionate. I represent Christ. I'm his ambassador. I'm his ambassador. I represent him. Not only is he in charge, but when someone looks at me, they need to see him. That bar gets really tight, really fast, right? I'm just going to let that percolate for a minute. I don't think I need to explain that any further. When someone looks at you, They should see him. When someone spends time with you, they should have just spent time with him. You understand understand that? All right. Everybody's diverting eye contact. That tells me that we're there. In our community, this is a beautiful language choice. Who is your community? My Bible says... When I'm wondering who my neighbor is, it's the guy that's in my path, that Jesus brings into my path. That's my community. Sometimes that's my family, my immediate family. Sometimes that's my neighbor. Sometimes that's the guy at the grocery store. Sometimes that's my coworker. Your community is everyone you go eyeball to eyeball with. That's your community. Your community is bigger than that. Sometimes it's how I invest in others who are reaching further than I can reach. That's also my community. You know, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when Jesus says, you're going to take this gospel and it's going it's to go like in concentric circles. It's going to get farther and go faster than just what one person can do. So Peter just tells the truth everywhere he goes. He says, man, Jesus, whom you guys didn't buy into, he died and rose again and paid the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so we could have a right relationship with the Father. And oh, I'm so glad that I don't have to be perfect, that he became perfection for me. You see, because God was holy, is holy and perfect. And if I got into the presence of God, I would contaminate him just by being there. I couldn't solve that problem on my own. So he sent his son to live a sinless, perfect life, to pay the price, to be found guilty, even though he was not guilty, so that I could be found not guilty, even though I was guilty. And this big old crazy word of sanctification happened, and it changed me, and my nature changed. And I became able to be in the presence of God, and you can too. And he loves you, and he designs you, and he wants you. See, I can't help but tell that story. And you can word it however you enjoy wording it. But that's what it means to be on, on the mission. To say, I'm, I'm okay, God, that you're first. I'm okay with not being first. That's hard to get there sometimes, right? Just, you might need to just say that under your breath and try it out a little bit. I won't make you all say it with me. God, I'm okay with you being first. I'm okay with you being the leader and being the model. I don't have to do it all on my own. Okay, I got it. God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be passionate. What does that mean? I'm going to actually do something. I'm going to actually do something. The thing you designed me to do. I don't have to do what everybody else does. I've done, I'm going to do the thing you designed me to do. But I'm going to actually do it. If you have a mission and you don't have to do anything to do your mission, that's not a mission. All right? That's not a mission anymore. If you can accomplish your mission and nothing in your life requires action to do it, you don't have a mission. I don't know what you have. You have an interesting, like, you know, statement. That's all you have. You have a statement. It's not a mission statement. It's just a statement. A mission requires some action. It requires that you do something. Passionately. I'm going to represent Christ. I'm not going to get this right all the time. But I'm going to be distinctly aware that if you spend time with me, if the squeeze is on, right? If I squeeze a lemon, I'm going to get lemonade. What comes out when you get squeezed? Is it Jesus? Woo! He'll help you with that. That's going to be a journey. But I'm going to make a decision to be on that journey. God, you can, I'm going to pour myself out and you can pour yourself in. And even when I don't feel it, I'm going to live it because of you. And my community, this means I'm going to keep my eyes open. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that the mission is possible. See, up until this point, it wasn't possible. I'm going to move from follower to disciple to apostle. I'm going to go on that journey, Jesus. I'm not going to have to be what I've always been. You love me right where I'm at, but I don't have to be there. It's okay if I was a tax collector. You think your life is a hot mess. Everybody hated Matthew. Everybody universally hated him. Everybody did you think you've ruined your life? Um, you know, Abraham, we can walk through it. Abraham was a coward and a liar. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer and a murderer. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I mean, Paul, come on. The only reason I think I'll be able to hang out with Paul is if he tells stories about, like, you know, just I was hunting down believers and God just knocked me on my can. I'm like, yeah, like that. Like, I I get knocked on my can sometimes. Then we'll hang out. We'll tell that story. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I just want to be in the middle of your will, doing what you've called and designed us to do. I want to have a heart like Peter had that just says, in the face of adversity, I cannot help but do it. Oh, Never let me get so comfortable doing church that it's like an inconvenience for Jesus to show up. Never let me get so uh, tied up that the, you see, even in the evidence uh, uh, of the miracles, if I don't want to believe, I'll find a reason not to believe. These guys found a reason not to believe in the presence of miracles. Are you serious? I don't want my heart to be stubborn or my head to be obstinate. I want to be surrendered to your will, to love who you have put in front of me. God, I think about just this community, this street we're on here 86 i think about this school rogers high school and I, I, I think about this park and all the moms and kids that come every week and are just right they're just our neighbor our people that are just here that you love god i pray we would be a light a beacon that we would be disciples we'd be submitted to you That god we'd be passionate that god we would live it out that people would see us and see you I pray that would be the testimony of this body of believers. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I'm going to ask Tom to come up uh, from our board of elders, and, and uh, he's going to share with us a little bit as, as we close. And so we're early. Don't worry. Just hang in here for a minute. Tom, would you come?
1: Thank you. Thank you, Mike. You know, before we get started today on what I'm up here to share with you, I just think about what an awesome, awesome blessing our pastors are. So as a church family today, I'd just like you to give them a really good hand. Could you do that? Okay, I'm up here today on behalf of the Board of Elders to speak to you about pastor appreciation. The last few weeks, you may have noticed a a note from the elders in the bulletin board about pastor appreciation. Today is the day that we set aside to celebrate our pastors and their families. God's word says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, I want to call our remembrance today on the verse that says, except they be sent. Our pastors, Mike and Andrew, and their families have truly been sent by God to Shepherd Celebration Center Church. Our pastors are our shepherds. And God's words tells us that they feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. That is an awesome responsibility. They continually bless this church and church family each and every day. Their combined ministries together enrich and bless our adult, youth, and children's ministries. They are truly a gift and a wonderful blessing from God. Today we come together as a church family to express our gratitude and love for our pastors and all they do for us. One reason pastor appreciation is so important is that whether we send a card, or speak kind words to them, or a part of the love offering, it causes them to press forward with confidence. A pastor who knows he is loved is constantly encouraged and filled with excitement, optimism, and courage. Pastoral leadership in the church requires risk because they risk being emotionally hurt when they opened up and love us unconditionally. They often risk being disliked if they make an unpopular decision. They can risk future career, ministry, and finances by taking stands against sin. They risk criticism for nearly every choice they make, every sermon they preach, and every person they love. Pastor appreciation is our way to encourage them to press on to make the tough decisions they need to make and to continue to be the anointed shepherds that God has blessed and sent to us. We minister appreciation of love to our pastors because the Lord tells us that he gives us pastors who will feed us with knowledge and understanding and as they who keep watch over our souls. And as those who will have to give an account we minister appreciation because they work diligently and tirelessly for us and because they serve us with all their heart and because they love us and care for us before i call the ushers up today to take uh this love offering this gift offering we're going to do for our pastors i just want to tell you that uh in, in the seat in front of you if you look in the seat in front of you there are some envelopes and cards and what we're asking you to do, if you would, is to just fill out something special from your heart to Pastor Mike and Pastor Andrew. And then as you leave today, you can go ahead and put them. There'll be a basket on the south side and the north side. You can just put it in there for them. So this time I'm, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, please. Okay, I'm just going to pray over the offering. Heavenly Father, our loving God, gracious Father, we, we're so thankful, Lord, for our pastors, uh, they bring such joy. They do such wonderful and awesome things for the kingdom, for your purpose and your will in their lives and the lives in, in of this church, Lord. I just, just lift them up to you. And we bless this offering to them today, Lord. We just thank you for their families. And we thank you, Lord, for their presence and the fact that you've sent them to us. And we just rejoice in that today, Father. We pray that this offering would bless their families and, Lord, it would glorify you. And we just take this now, Father, as a blessing to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
2: Today is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. So if you didn't get a chance yet to bring in a card, you can fill out a card from the back of the seat in front of you and give those to Pastor Mike or Pastor Andrew on your way out today. And also, thank you, Pastors. We appreciate you. Starting tomorrow night, Monday, October 26th at 6.30 p.m., Pastor Mike will be leading a new group. It's a three-week series, and it's for new attendees where they will be discussing on the first night what we believe is a church. So if you're a new attendee and you're interested in joining that class, you can talk to Pastor Mike or Andrew or Allie. Let them know today if you'd like to come, because it starts tomorrow. Don't forget, Men's Bible Study is meeting here on Thursday mornings at 7 a.m. So if you're a man and you want to study the Bible, you can come on Thursday mornings at 7 a.m. Freezing Nights begins November 2nd. That's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Wow. That's coming up quick. Freezing Nights is a program that our church does that helps open up the doors to our homeless brothers and sisters during the colder months. If you have a heart for that type of ministry, you can email the office for more information about how you can help there. Or if you have personal items that you'd like to donate to the homeless, you can bring those in at any time as well. Again, Freezing Nights coming up on November 2nd is when we're going to start our first one here at the church. Yoga Faith is still happening here at the church on Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. That goes through November 7th. If you want to come in and worship with your mind, body, and breath, that's 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And if you're a beginner, bring a towel or a mat. That's what I have for you this morning. I'm Faith Fuller, and don't forget to watch the game today. There's not a game today. It actually, I guess, took place on Thursday night, so no big deal. Don't forget to watch the game next week, and you can wear your jerseys on Fridays, too. I guess that's kind of the thing around here. So, Anyway, go Seagulls! I'm Faith Fuller. This is your Celebration Center news update. I will see you next week. That's how we gather, grow, and go. Have a great Sunday.
1: You know, each and every day, uh, uh, we should all pray for our pastors, for our church, church family. That's just something that we ought to be doing in our daily prayers. Today, we're going to do something special that we, we do uh, after pastor appreciation. We're going to pray a blessing, uh, a yearly blessing over our, our pastors. So this time, I'd, I'd like to call our pastors and their wives to please come forward. Pastor uh, Mike and Christine and, and uh, Pastor Andrew and Allie, please. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly, dear Heavenly Father, our gracious and loving God, we pray with loving hearts today for Pastor Mike and Christine and Pastor Andrew and Allie and their children, their families, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you have appointed them to be our shepherds. You have appointed them to minister to our spiritual growth and needs. We thank you, Father, that you have sent them to reach the lost souls in our community and to guide and attend to our church and to our fellowship. We lift them up today to you, Father, and bless them. We realize that the task and the calling of our pastors as spiritual leaders and as those that watch over our souls is a job that is never done. We thank you, Father that they work diligently and tirelessly for us, and that they listen and they deeply care and they pray for us, and they continually reach out to those in need of help and to those who need salvation. We ask this day that you would strengthen and empower our pastors with your wisdom, your direction, and vision. We pray that you would bless our pastors and their families that you would keep them from temptations and keep them out of harm's way. Father, we pray that the joy of the Lord would always remain in their hearts and fill every part of their spirit. We pray the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with them now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Would you guys stand? Give someone near you a squeeze. Thank you so much, church. We love you. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Have an awesome week in the Lord. Amen. I don't know when we do elder appreciation. We'll have to do that next. huh? (laughs) Thanks, guys. Bless you.